This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me this evening. With me, really excited, Matt Caraccio back in the fold. Matt, welcome back here. Hey, Paul, how you doing? I, I just cannot wait. I am so excited to have our guest on today. I, I don't even know where to begin, but I know that his position on players and his takes are just going to be something that I think is going to make everybody run back to their own notes and go back to the film and see what we really think about all these players when everything in the dust settles. Absolutely. And as Matt alluded to, we are lucky to be joined this evening by Danny Kelly from The Ringer. Danny, welcome to the Saturday Sunday Football Podcast. Really excited to have you here as a first time guest. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And the NFL Draft guys still scheduled as planned in terms of the dates. Obviously, it's going to be done in a very different format with everything that's going on in our world right now. So hopefully you use this podcast as just a little bit of a welcome distraction. Uh, and we're just going to sit here and talk about some draft prospects and have some fun talking about these guys. So, Danny, let's get right into it. You dropped yesterday your latest uh, big board, your draft guide there over at the ringer. Fantastic stuff that everyone needs to to get over there and check it out. But let's start at the quarterback position. Mm-hmm. And obviously, we have Joe Burrow. We have Tua. I think each of them very talented in their own right. You have them at number two and number three overall on your big board. My question for you is, if Tua was completely healthy, mm-hmm. is he ahead of Burrow? Or when you did your ranking of them, did you take the injury component out of it and just evaluate them on the football field in terms of their traits and skill? Um, I did not take the injury part of it out of it just because I think it is a little bit of a worry going forward. You know, it's not just the hip injury that he's got to get back from and prove that he can get healthy and stay healthy. It's a couple of, you know, the tightrope uh, procedures on his ankles that he's had over the years. So there's a little bit of that that injury history. I don't know if it's necessarily that it doesn't make him injury prone, I don't think. But um, just the, you know, the confluence of all those injuries, maybe that has an effect going forward on his overall movement, athleticism, all that. You just kind of have to take those things into account. I think NFL teams are taking that into account for sure. It's a worry. Um, But I would say, you know, there's still razor thin margin between these two guys. For me, I just really, really like both of them. I think Burrow, what he did, you know, over the back half of the season, I think I probably was a little bit higher on Tua going like halfway through the season or so. And then Burrow just finished so strong. The stuff he did against top level defenses, against top level teams in the biggest situations, in the biggest moments, all that stuff. Um, he just he was so good in the big moments. He was so accurate, such such a playmaker in all those moments. I, I just that kind of won him over for me. And Again, like I said, the the injury thing is a little bit of a concern going forward, but I still have him number. I, I still have two at number three on my board, so I obviously am very very high on him as well. Um, I just think both of those players are going to be very very good as long as Tua can stay healthy. Obviously, absolutely. Do you see both of them? Obviously, right now, unless it's a big trade, it sounds like Burrow's locked in at number one. I know you were at the combine. You know, and obviously we thought at that time things were going to be very different. There was going to be more medical checkups. There was going to be a pro day for Tua. Do you get the sense that you think five is his absolute, you know, uh, floor for Tua, if not even earlier with a team potentially trading up? 
Yeah, that would be my guess. That would be what I'd put money on at this point is, is him dropping no further than five. I think we saw a video of him doing some training the other day. He didn't look limited at all to me. I mean, I guess he was limping a little bit at the combine, but in this video he was doing drop back movement, you know, lateral movement, throwing and all that. Did not seem to have any sort of hitch or anything in his giddy up. So I think that's very promising. Obviously, teams are going to have to maybe make a little bit of a leap of faith this season because they don't have full information, all that stuff. Um, but I think, yeah, if he gets past the Dolphins and no one has taken him yet, I will be shocked. I think actually the more likely scenario is someone trades up into that number three spot, potentially even the number two spot to go get to a, I just think that's probably like the NFL just needs quarterbacks. It's so such a huge, huge impact position. I just see that. And I, and I also think the lions are going to be looking to trade back. So that to me makes just perfect sense. Either the chargers um, or potentially like the, a team like the Panthers potentially coming up to number three. It just makes a ton of sense. Obviously the, the dolphins could trade up easily too, because they have so much ammunition. So um, that would be like, to me, the most likely scenario. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I share a lot of the same thought tonight, and I think it's a fantastic take, especially on Tua. I think he's a, an extremely, um, you know, he has a, a lot of what I would consider to be very like, unicorn type traits in terms of, you know, the way he can move around the pocket. Again, I love that you uh, like that you alluded to movement skill. Um, that's something that I, I am completely very passionate about is skill acquisition and movement science. And mm -hmm. yes, you just, you see a very unique skill set within Tua about the way he can solve problems and the variety and the, the dexterity that he shows on the field in terms of solving multiple problems in a lot of ways. And not going to say Joe Burrows didn't exude those same traits towards the end of the season, as you alluded to as well, against top-notch defenses. He really did. He showed a lot of ingenuity, a lot of wit, a lot of dexterity in terms of the way he solved problems on the field as well, which makes me very interested about your next couple of players. And I was wondering, Dan, if you could kind of take us through it. I mean, we have Herbert and Love and you know, where they may fall, because I think it was an excellent point that we are getting into a little bit of a quarterback famine in the NFL that may be approaching. And and I know yeah, it seems yeah. a little bit on the horizon. It's still out there. I mean, Tom is still playing and Drew is still playing. <laughs> but yeah. those days, those days, those days seem to be numbered maybe in the near future. So we do have to look past it. And does Herbert and Love offer teams the starter the starter caliber traits that you think they need to really be franchise quarterbacks and compete at the next level what do you, what, do you, what have you seen and what do you think I, I think both of those guys certainly have the upside and the talent level like the physical talent level to be franchise quarterbacks um to be honest with you when i went in and watched herbert's tape so like i had heard a whole lot about herbert you know over the last few years and then I heard a lot of sort of negativity about him this season. You kind of see it. I do a little bit of catch up because I'm covering the NFL full time during the NFL season. So I'm catching up in like November, December and starting to really dig into these guys. And so I was actually expecting to like Herbert a lot less than I did just based on sort of the narratives and the general, I guess, gist of what people were thinking of how he was. And I thought he was pretty soft. Like my initial impression was like, this guy's got obviously physical talent. You know, he's athletic. He's got a good arm. Um, he didn't let it rip as much as you want, like consistently, like he, he was more often a little bit conservative. Um, I liked it when he really kind of just like let it go and, and really went for it and, and threw aggressive tight window throws and things like that. Cause he can hit those throws in my opinion. Um, and we saw at the combine, obviously a very good athlete. I think he ran like a four, six, eight or something like that. Um, so he, and he's tall, he's tall, 
he he's a well-built like he's not slender or skinny burrow is actually kind of skinny so that makes you a little bit worried long term i'm um, kind of like a golf body type um but uh herbert is more built he's just i think he's got like the physical attributes now the question is obviously can he come into the nfl and, and be that aggressive player be a leader because a lot of teams i think definitely need that from a player you don't want a guy who's just coming in and sort of just going through the motions or whatever that was a huge thing that, that was a huge i guess question about josh rosen coming into the nfl too and um so i think there's certainly question marks about the intangible parts of playing quarterback and that's always a thing but i think herbert to me showed enough i think it was very impressive that he's learned several different offenses throughout his time at Oregon. I think that's obviously going to be a a big help for him going into the NFL, being able to learn another offense on the fly. That's just one of the hardest parts of quarterback going from college to the pros is trying to like lead a group of team, like a group of alpha people Yeah, when you're still trying to learn the language of the play calls and stuff like that. So like he's shown his ability to kind of go through all that stuff. Um, So I I think Herbert to me impressed me. I think he, you know, he's got that, that, those traits that you need um, and more of it is just going to be whether he can stay aggressive, be aggressive, stay confident, be a leader. Like, I don't know. How do you project that? I don't know. So to me, I liked him, but those are obviously huge question marks. Yeah, no, no. And I think that when you transition to a player like Herbert and you look at him, I, I love how you talked about, you know, the physical capacities being there, you know, I mean, those are the the building blocks of a lot of the different things that you're going to need to do at the next level. And I like that you, you held your bated breath about saying, do we know? We don't know. I mean, we know to a degree based on what we've seen, but that everything does change and we have to be mindful of that. And I think that the best we can do is, is project based off of what we've seen. And I think that's a really great take. And if you wouldn't mind, just before we transition a little bit further, can you talk a little bit maybe to Jordan Love mm-hmm. and, and what you think he might do? I mean, at 32, is it possible he's going to sneak his way into the first round? Is he going to be potentially going to go up even higher? I mean, he's a player that I think if Paul and I were both being honest right now, we, we would have like little heart signs around his name because we do <laughs> love Love. Yeah. I mean, it's it's almost like we're, we're right on the precipice of right writing the next great poem of the 2020 <laughs> draft, you know? So what do yeah. you think about Mr. Love? So I love, first of all, I love the fact that you're really into movement skills because that is like where I start with everything with, with draft with every, pretty much every position, honestly, is like, how do they move? How are they like, what, what kind of athleticism do they have? Body control, all that. The first thing that comes to mind when I think of love is him rolling out to his right and just flick of the wrist like 45 yards down the field on a dime. Like, you know what I mean? It's just his ability to do that effortlessly. Is- you're making my heart thump. <laughs> like you're making my heart thump because that, after I saw those things, that was like, I was like, okay, he could play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's kind of where I am on him. I have him a little bit lower than I, maybe you guys have him. Just I, I have him 31 overall on my big board. And But the question is, to me, is the decision-making from last season in terms of his – aggressiveness going throwing into clear double coverage things like that he just wasn't maybe seeing things I kind of tend to believe it was him sort of just trying to play hero ball a little bit too much take control of the offense because he had a new coach I think he I think I read there was nine new (laughs) starters on offense so it's just like a completely different team of players it's like him just trying to do a little bit too much. I think teams are going to see that. There was major buzz coming out of the combine that he's going to be a top 10 pick. So do not be surprised at all if someone trades up for him in the top 10. 
I know that a lot of people on Twitter are sort of like, I don't really see it with him because I think, you know, maybe you just get a little too worried about those turnovers. And I think the turnover thing is certainly applicable and you don't want that in the NFL. And I was really concerned about Daniel Jones coming into the NFL too, because yeah, you see the traits, but also you see, I think it's like they're actually very similar prospects to me because mm-hmm. he, I think he was the kind of guy who was like, I got to freaking carry this whole offense. Yeah. You know, he had no talent in that offense. And then you come in and you see him play with NFL talent. You're like, Oh, okay. I guess he's actually pretty damn good. I mean, obviously there's still concerns with Daniel Jones and I don't necessarily think that Jordan Love can come in and immediately just clean up all his issues. But I do, I think like his movement skills in the pocket, he's, he's, I noticed that he's like good at kind of like moving around and keeping his eyes downfield and things like that. That's important. I think in the NFL today, it helps a ton. I don't know if you necessarily have to have this, but it certainly helps a lot to be able to escape pressure, keep plays alive. Offensive lines are not going at the trajectory of, of defensive lines. I think at this point, I think defensive lines are just getting better and better. Defensive linemen, you got like defensive lines with four elite pass rushers now. And you're lucky if you have three or four good offensive linemen. So to me, it's just, I think you have to be able to be dynamic in the pocket and be able to move, escape, make throws on the run. And, and it comes back to, like I said, right at the very beginning, he, he has that flick of the wrist throw. It's almost like, it's almost like uh, Michael Vick reminiscent the way he flicks mm-hmm. it. Um, so I've heard people say Patrick Mahomes. I'm not too far. I mean, Patrick Mahomes from yeah. Texas tech, very similar, very similar in, in certain exposures. Yeah. I, I can understand those things as well. So anyway, so I'm the, sorry. The, I didn't mean to interject there. No, no, no. The, I was actually going to say, like, when you watch him, the, mm-hmm. the Patrick Mahomes thing, I'm not going to compare him to Patrick Mahomes because that's just like, no. why are you going to pr- compare a, a prospect to a future Hall of Famer? But um, there were certainly times where I'm like, this guy kind of just the way he moves reminds you a little bit of Mahomes. Well, well, you know what I would say is I would say that in similar exposures, similar problems that they may have had to solve, maybe similar mm-hmm. route concepts in conjunction with pass rush angles, in conjunction with time and score, there are moments where you see that type of movement solutions emerge, where the player mm-hmm. is suddenly creating space outside the confines of the offensive tackles and making those cross-shoulder, cross-body throws yeah, yeah. that are that are similar. So I, I think that you're right. No, they are not the same player. I, I let's not put, let's not say that, but just don't put I, the pressure on him to do. Yeah. That. Poor, poor guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I love that you brought Daniel Jones up. I love that you brought the Patrick Mahomes up and I think you could, we could even throw in Josh Allen. Yeah. Josh the NF, Allen for sure. the NFL is going to look at Jordan love the same way the NFL looked at Josh Allen, yep. looked at Daniel Jones. They're going to look at him and say he was compensating for what was lacking around him, and they're going to put a pass. It's why there's always this discrepancy a lot of times. Some of you know the, of the draft Twitter community, it's very much by the numbers, and the people who are by the numbers are going to look at a guy like Josh Allen, going to look at a guy like Daniel Jones, going to look at a guy you know like Jordan Love, and they're going to be, why is this guy even in consideration in round one? But when the NFL takes the full picture, and they talk to the coaches and they really investigate these guys to get them inside the rooms. I think they see that they were really lacking what they were playing with. And they were, like you said, trying to play that hero ball. And you're right. It's not fair to compare anybody to Patrick (laughs) Mahomes. But if we just say, if we put it in the context of nobody thought Patrick Mahomes was going to be this, or he sure as hell wouldn't be sitting there at the 10th pick in the draft. 
Patrick Mahomes was doing some of those same things that we were talking about at Texas Tech, trying to play hero ball, trying to make up for the lack of defense that his team played. And I think that's what Jordan Love was trying to do as well. And the movement skills and the flick of the wrist, they are reminiscent of Patrick Mahomes from his days at Texas Tech. Do we know in any capacity if if Jordan Love is going to translate to the NFL like Patrick Mahomes? Of course not. The odds are minuscule because that would be really rare to, to, to be another Patrick Mahomes. But it is, it is very much, I think, comparable in terms of that movement and the flicking of the wrist and what he played with in college to say we see some of those similarities. So yeah. Before I, before I change this, oh, any, any final thoughts? I, well, I was just going to, to that point, and I think it's important to have context because it seems to me, at least as I'm going through each draft class, it, it, you kind of get a little bit of myopia in terms of just like I'm concentrating on this class. and how I feel about these players. And you start comparing them to current NFL players. But when you go back to, like you said, when Mahomes was a draft prospect, I very vividly remember writing about how, like, the Chiefs are taking this guy and they're going from Alex Smith, who literally never turns the ball over. The whole offense, their whole offense was designed about protecting the football. And you're going to a guy like Mahomes. I remember thinking like, this is a huge change because Mahomes turned the ball over a kind of a lot and he was a little bit wild in college. And now that seems silly because he's just been so awesome. He's protecting the ball like incredibly well, you know, the best young quarterback in the NFL and all that stuff. So it seems silly to think about that now, but I remember distinctly being like, well, this is a, I don't think he's going to fail, but this is a very different style than what you're getting with Alex Smith. And so naming him the starter you know, and trading away Smith, that's a big risk because you're totally changing the complexion of your offense. Turns out they didn't, but it, you know, it's just one of those things that I was thinking about him as a, as a college player. And that's so like that kind of context is important to remember <clears throat> when you're evaluating these players, because I, you know, same deal with Josh Allen too. It's like you coming out of college. I'm like, this guy, he just turns the ball over like crazy. He makes these terrible decisions, but there's way to massage there's ways to massage that out. We saw that last year with Allen, how he was a little bit more, you know, disciplined and all that. So anyways, like I, I the quarterback position is incredibly difficult to to uh, evaluate, but you have to have that kind of context. Absolutely. And it's going to be fascinating because I do think the Bengals, the Dolphins, and the Chargers are locked into quarterbacks in the top six picks. But now with with the Brady to Tampa Bay, with the Colts trading out of the first round. I think now it really opens up of who's going to be that four team to maybe get in the mix. Well, again, we don't know if it's Love or Herbert, you know, who, who is higher on boards. It could be different, but it's interesting to see where that four team is going to come from because yeah. I think there was a lot more clarity before Brady ended up with the Bucks and the Colts, you know, not that we didn't expect the Colts to get Rivers. I think we all did, but I think we still thought they might be in the market at pick 13 for a quarterback to groom. But now, with, you know, make train that pick away for DeForest Buckner. I think it opens the door. Is it the Vegas Raiders? Is it the Jaguars? And I'm not sold on Gardner Minshew. We don't really know if the Jaguars are sold on Gardner yeah. Minshew. Is it another team like the Patriots coming all the way up or a team like the Packers who surprise everybody and try to draft the heir apparent to Aaron Rodgers? So it's going to be really interesting to see yeah. where that fourth quarterback comes off the board just before we move on you do have two other quarterbacks in your top 75 and it's one to let the audience know Jalen Hurts at 60 Jacob Eason at 61 going to be fascinating to see where those guys go there's been some round one talk for Jacob Eason I'm not sure I'm buying it yeah uh, I think Jalen Hurts's stock is on the rise how high of an investment do teams make in this is going to be fun to follow so those were two other guys that just wanted to make note that were in your top 75 if we turn this to the running backs Mm-hmm. You have six running backs in your top 75. 
But I want to first group the first five because I've been on record here at Saturday, Sunday saying I don't think there's this massive gap in terms of the five guys. And everyone seems to have the same consensus top five in some order. Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins, DeAndre Swift, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, and Cam Akers is the way you have it ranked in your big board at 19, 23, 24, 42, and 48. What do you envision? Do you think the NFL views it that there is a lot of discrepancy between these guys or do you think it's going to be kind of more of situational based what teams are looking for are they looking for that power physical Mm -hmm. bell cow like jonathan taylor are they looking for a little bit more of a guy that can be a more balanced impact in terms of the passing game you know maybe a guy like kyle edwards hilaire can't carry an 18 touch workload but maybe can be really really good on 14 or 15 touches a game just kind of take us through those five as a whole in terms of your thoughts on how you separated them and maybe what the NFL might think. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on. <clears throat> it's going to be sort of like pick your flavor. What kind of running back are you going to be looking for? These guys are all a little bit like unique in their styles. Taylor's obviously like that home run hitting guy. He's got the size. He's got elite speed. He's got elite traits. Um Maybe not as much of, an, of a factor in the passing game. Obviously, there's some signs that he could do it, but you know he hasn't really done it a ton, and he hasn't had a lot of pass protecting reps in college. Dobbins to me is sort of like this lunch pail guy. You know that for, that's a cliche, but he's, he's he can kind of do it all. Um, I think he's got speed. I think he's got movement. Um, you know, he's able to run up the middle. I don't know if he's got the size to be like a power back, but he likes being between the tackles. Um, and he's in the, he's a good in the passing game. Obviously people talk about his drops, um, in against Clemson, but I think, you know, he's just, he's been pretty solid throughout his career. Um, Dondre Swift, you know, he's kind of, again, an all around guy, maybe not like the elite physical traits of some of these other guys, but, um, just a solid all around player with good, you know, experience and, and pro style blocking schemes. Alaire is like that. I think he's kind of the guy that teams that are looking for a pass catching back are going to look for for sure because he's he's so good in the open field. He's so elusive in the open field, but he's also very dependable as a pass catcher. And then Acres again is like he Acres and and Dobbins are kind of similar to me in the sense that they're projectable as three down guys and have different they're like different skill sets, but they're both sort of like the the three down guys of this group. And then I, I think Swift also probably deserves to be in that group. But then Taylor and, and Alaire are sort of on the opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of what they're probably going to be projected to be used like in the pros. So, um, you know, going forward, I don't know. It's very hard for me to pair these guys with certain teams because, you know, they all have different skill sets, but also they're all like really freaking good. So like, it just kind of depends on what teams are looking for. You know, I, I have an interesting question to ask you, Danny, and, and because you study the NFL so frequently throughout the year, this is probably right in your wheelhouse. If we were going to play a little bit of prognosticator and kind of maybe look a little bit at what the Chiefs did with Mahomes, I wonder if there's something that similar could be said about one of these running backs. In other words, you know, sometimes the addition of a particular player can force us or urge us to change our offense entirely. So I wonder, do you see any teams positioning themselves in the NFL that might look at one of these players as a changer for them, a change agent, if you will. Hmm. So maybe you draft like, maybe you draft, for example, Jonathan Taylor, because you know, you're ready to invest in the O-line and you want to become a down the middle, north, south, dominant running team. Hmm. 
do you do you, I wonder I'm just trying to maybe tease the two things together and say maybe if we look at the other circumstances that surround where the player goes is there maybe a team that's positioning themselves for a dramatic overhaul in 2020 that's super interesting question um the only team that the the team that immediately came to mind was the Dolphins just because they don't to me don't really have an identity at all right and right. maybe maybe they're a team that could look at taking Taylor or whoever, whatever guy they like the most and, and sort of designing their offense around him because number one, they don't have a quarterback at this point. They're probably going to get one. Um, I mean, obviously Fitzgerald um, or Fitzpatrick, I always get those wrong, but he's, he's a sort of a bridge quarterback, but um, yeah, they're kind of the first team that came to mind because we don't really know. No, I, lo- I love it. Let's, let's go there. Let's go there. Yeah. Let's, let's take that one step further. So let's say they draft, like my first instinct is maybe they draft somebody like Jonathan Taylor. Mm-hmm. Very, very safe because we could build positionally around him in a, a variety of ways. Like we don't have to have our quarterback be the linchpin, for right. example. Right. What if they went with a player that's a little bit more dynamic and versatile? Let's say they went with a Clyde Edwards Hilaire or a DeAndre Swift because they want to make sure that the maybe we're looking for more of a ball distributing quarterback. Maybe somebody in the maybe somebody in the ilk of an Alex Smith. So maybe we're yeah. looking for a Jake Fromm. Maybe we take a Jake Fromm late and we pair him with DeAndre Swift. And I'm just, why not? They went to college together. I mean, like, you know, I'm just throwing out an idea. But what do you think? Is there there one more player that you might be able to to throw out to us? Is there anybody that stands out? Um, Well, just to add into this group, I think Zach Moss is my 53rd ranked player. Um, He's he's the type of guy who, I don't know if he's necessarily a foundation back, but he's the type of player that can change the identity of your offense a little bit because he has such physicality as a runner, such, um, you know, uh, tenacity, I guess, as a runner. He's sort of reminds me a little bit of Marshawn Lynch and the way he plays. He's not as athletic as Lynch, but um, like the way he can deflect contact, keep going. There was times where he was like running downhill and someone would bounce into it. Someone would like hit him and he sort of just like, turn his body but like keep running downfield like it was just incredible the way he was able to deflect contact keep going forward keep keep his legs churning um so he's another kind of guy that just came to mind when you're bringing this up it's like a type of player that teams might want to build identity around um on offense not necessarily like a super explosive player but um you know he brings that that i guess just punch you in the face type (laughs) tenacity that i think a lot of teams are looking for so um, he's another guy that kind of comes to mind, but that's a very fascinating discussion because there's so many, you know, like I said, these guys are a lot different, but they can also sort of change the way that teams operate their offense. Yeah. I think this running back discussion is fascinating because you really sit down and go through the teams and it's hard to find ideal landing spots for a lot of these guys. I mean, you already mentioned, you know, Miami, that's at the forefront. I, to me, they're the only team that I think could potentially take a running back in round one. I'd be surprised if any other team, and honestly, I think they wait to day two because I'm not sure unless, as you guys were saying, they want to establish a presence and Brian Flores yeah. there wants Jonathan Taylor to be his version of Derrick Henry. If not, I think all of these guys guys going round two 
the top yeah. five, and then maybe Zach Moss goes either in round three or round four. Mm-hmm. And then, but then you start to say, okay, I could see Atlanta. They're not they're not invested long term in Todd Gurley. What do they want to complement with him? Maybe they wait longer than round two, and they want a, a physical presence like a Zach Moss. You really start to find Tampa Bay, someone that maybe complements mm-hmm. Tom Brady a little bit better, more of a pass catcher. Maybe yep. a guy like Clyde Edwards Hilaire fits perfect with what the Bucks want to do. You know, for years Brady's had James White as a security blanket, so yep. I can see the Bucks maybe looking at a guy like Clyde Edwards Hilaire who really can be that factor in the passing game. But I think it's going to be so interesting to find landing spots because even in the second round, you don't find five teams that are in dire need. Okay, right. I, you know, I talked on the last podcast. Maybe the Lions want to get someone because carry on Johnson, but do they really need to invest a second round pick? Not really sure. You know, when you go through teams left and right trying to find, you know, who's going to fill that these voids. These five guys aren't going to land in perfect fantasy landing spots. I know we haven't talked <laughs> much fantasy, but they're just not because I don't yeah. think there's five open spots right now like josh jacobs last year with the raiders was a home run you know maybe someone ends up behind derrick henry for a year in tennessee i put the ravens i talked about in in day two maybe the ravens are looking to get the heir apparent to mark ingram and form a committee with him and justice hill if they're still high on but Mm -hmm. that wouldn't be a good landing spot for year one that'd be a terrible landing spot right now so it's going to be really interesting to kind of see you know where these running backs go off the board is it a culture shift and an offensive scheme change like you guys were talking about? You know, I don't think I think Jonathan Taylor and I think Zach Moss in terms of their physicality would would open that up to being that change. But I do think a team like I brought up the Bucks, that would be a little bit of a, a, a philosophy change because Bruce mm-hmm. Arian's system has never really been a system that really utilized the running back a lot. But with Tom Brady there, they're probably gonna be. So yep. Really interesting stuff. Let's finish out the, the night talking about the pass catchers. Uh, let's go to the wide receivers because you have 13 guys in your top <laughs> 75. I mean, it's just staggering. Yeah. And most people do. Like, you know, I love you for that, that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I was very redis- I was re- like cognizant of the fact I'm like, man, this is a lot of receivers. Yeah, it's like and, a quarter of the freaking list. So yeah, yeah, and before and before the combine, there were people like Daniel Jeremiah and Mel Kuyper saying, you know, there's 25, 30 guys that are that are have top 100 grades or round or mm-hmm. round one for round three grades. And, you know, I was on air saying, I think probably when push comes to shove, 15 to 18 is the number that I've put it at that I think will come off the board in the first three rounds. I mean, which is just which is just crazy. So I'm not going to run through all 13 guys (laughs) here. A lot of the guys are the names that most people have had. Uh, You know, the top of the list for you is Lamb and Judy and then Ruggs and Jefferson, which I think to me personally, I think those are the four locks for round one at this point. Yeah. Uh, when you separated, even if we start at the top for a second, Lamb and Judy, what was it about, you know, and, and you don't have much separation between them, eight and 10. Is there something that stood out with Lamb that just made you like him a tad more than Jerry Judy? And then if you just want to share your thoughts on a couple of the other guys that you technically have first round grades on, you mm-hmm. know, Justin Jefferson at 21, T Higgins at 25 and, and Jalen Rager at 26. Yeah. So I think the, the difference for Lamb and Judy, and I think what put it over the top for Lamb for me was his physicality and ability to pick up yards after the catch. I mean, to me, he has a little bit more traits of like a, whatever you want to call it, de facto true number one in the NFL. Um, just on the fact that he's that post up guy, he can go up top and, and take the ball from, from a defender, you know, at the catch point. Very, very, very athletic and physical after the catch. Um, people were kind of worried about his, his, his overall speed. And I kind of get that based on his tape. You know, he's not like 
a super sudden athlete, but he's very smooth. He's very fast. And when he runs after the catch, it almost reminds me, and I've said this like a couple too, probably too many times, but it, it reminds me of Alvin Kamara a little bit, the way he's able to deflect contact. Like guys just bounce off his like legs. It's, it's weird. And I don't understand how he does it, but some players just have that slippery tackle breaking ability. Um, and he certainly has that. So I think that was kind of the thing that put it over the top for me. Judy has an edge, I think as a route runner, um, you know, he's also very fast and, and can get downfield. The, both of those guys are downfield threats, but I think Lamb kind of lined up all over the formation. Judy was more in the slot than, than than outside. So maybe, I guess, just the thing that put him over the top to me was like Lamb is the more prototypical number one in the NFL. Um, but at the end of the day, they're both around the same size, to be honest, and they're both skinny they're both on the skinnier side so that's a little bit of a concern so and and throw rugs into the conversation well he has the same deal he's is a little bit thin framed um so you worry a little bit about his, the ability to you know body up cornerbacks in the nfl and all that stuff but all three of those guys i think have elite traits and the trait the the athletic and like talent as a receiver is to be stars pretty early on in their careers yeah, and, and you know, I mean, re- receiver is a is a position that I, I think I fell in love early with, along with the offensive line. Um, I don't I don't know why those two went hand in hand in my brain, but for some reason, those were things that I gravitated towards. And I think in this particular class, I I think you really brought up a great point, Dan. I think was like that you brought up the idea of speed versus timing and play speed, and I think that's something that we get hung up with so often. Are we evaluating athletes or are we evaluating football players? Right. I mean, because they're, they're they are different things. And I think when we talk about athletes versus football players, we have to be careful about what we're asking questions about. You know, athletically, the combine has made its declaration, if you were. But, you know, but from a football player standpoint, I mean, I think that's what we're ultimately drafting. And I think you brought up some really great points there, which which leads me kind of the discussion about your next group of wide receivers, because I think this is where you begin to have a bit of a Rorschach test across the yeah. entire evaluative landscape. Everybody has the next five or ten, probably probably all within range of one another for sure. But you have players like Mims at 40 and Ayuk, followed by Chenault and and Pittman and Hamler and Edwards and Tyler Johnson. I mean, just where, where do you settle as Danny Kelly, the evaluator, where did you settle into this group in terms of trying to put them in a very difficult order because of such yeah. a depth of talent in this class. Yeah, it's a it's a combination of things. It's it's like we talked about earlier, movement skills and body control, um, explosiveness, suddenness. Mm-hmm. Um, the so like for instance, like Ayuk mm-hmm. is incredibly sudden. Like that's the thing that jumps off the tape to me is his suddenness in the short area, his ability to explode. Um, as an athlete, it reminded me a little bit of DJ Moore, and that's what I comped him to. Obviously. If you look at their analytical profiles, it's different because Ayuk's a little older. He's a JUCO transfer. You know, he, he only has one year of elite um, production and all that. So, like, th- you know, like from a fantasy perspective, he's a little bit more of a gamble. But I think his mm-hmm. athletic talent is enough for me to gamble on just because when I watch him, I'm like, man, this guy is is incredibly sudden, um, has breakaway speed. He's incredibly balanced as like an open field runner. He's a very good returner. Um He's also built like uniquely. He has incredibly long arms and for his, for his body type. So that kind of like makes me just very interested in him as a developmental guy, like at the catch point, he has not been very good at the catch point. 
in his college career in terms of his success rate on those plays. But I think just the way he's built, um, I'm just so intrigued by him. I just think he's going to be such a fun player to watch in the NFL. I don't know. Um, you know, landing spot might be important because I think you're going to have to scheme up things for him early on in his career probably. Um, but I just think that, you know, the athletic traits are there and, and I think he's very, very intriguing. And then like, <clears throat> excuse me, going to like a Mims who tested out of the world, you know, at the combine. Yeah. He jumped know, out of the gym. He just yeah. jumped out of the gym. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure if I saw the four sub four, four speed on tape too often. Like maybe I was just not looking at it. Right. But like, I don't know if I really saw that. I think he's more to me of like a body control, um, catch point, um, very natural at, at positioning himself and very good mm-hmm. hands in terms of plucking the ball away from his body and all those things. Like those are the things that stood out to me on tape. I don't think it was necessarily like, whoa, this guy's blazing fast. He obviously is. He he reminds me of DJ Chark because he has that build-up speed to get over the defense. He can threaten the defense uh, vertically, but that's not his whole game. And you see Chark, when he broke out this season, a lot of his his catches were back shoulder uh, catches, you know, um, where you're kind of – you have to challenge the corner and just let your guy win. I think that's what Mims is going to be in the NFL too because he's just um, – He's got he's long. He's got such good body control in the air. He can twist and contort in the air, come down with it. He was just uh, amazingly, amazingly good at the senior bowl. Like he was just dominating guys at the senior bowl. Um, so there's a lot of things to like about him. Um, he's more to me like he felt like more of just like a smooth athlete than an explosive one. Um, and then I guess like Chenault to me was another interesting one. I have him maybe a little bit lower than a lot of people do. Um, but most of that is sort of due to the injury concern. Obviously, he's got um, the groin inflammation thing that that came up late. He's had some non-disclosed injuries, I believe, throughout his college career. And, um, you know, he's just kind of been banged up here and there. And his, his physical style, the way they use him, is a little bit worrisome going forward just because, like, that makes players have lower, like, longevity or whatever. And so, anyways, it was a little bit like the, the injury concern was there. But... Um, I think Chenault, elite speed, you know, like uh, explosive, explosive turbo acceleration, that kind of stuff is like great. Um, I didn't know if he was like super sudden laterally or anything like that. Like he, like not in the open field, he's not going to like be juking guys out of their shoes and things like that, but he's very, very explosive, kind of like DK Metcalf style. Um, or a lot of people have actually been comparing him to AJ Brown, which I think makes a lot of sense um, physically. Like he's, he's a kind of, kind of type of guy that, he does, I think, have those deep skills, the tracking, like the deep balls tracking skills that can make him a deep threat. He's not like necessarily going to be just this gadget player in the NFL. I think that's the key for him, though, going forward is like to be able to prove that he can have that downfield um, ability to threaten a defense like DK Metcalf, like AJ Brown. Um, and he's not just like a guy that they can use in the backfield or on a jet sweep or things like that, because I think that's going to be the key to him having a good long career versus just being someone that they can use on certain plays, kind of like a Corel Corderell Patterson type player. You don't want him to be like that. I want, I want him to prove that he's that deep threat guy. And I think he can be that guy. Yeah. Very interesting stuff there with Chenault. I think, I think if he transitions and a right offensive coordinator uses them early on, like Debo Samuel, as, and then continues to develop his game, I think he could stay away from falling into that Cordell Patterson type stuff. Yeah. Uh, great stuff there in the wide receivers. I 
selfishly, I love the fact that you have not given up on T. Higgins. I'm right there with you. <laughs> I think he should still be a first-round pick. I don't yeah. know if he's going to be, but that goes into the whole football player versus athlete. He's more football player than athlete, as yep. we saw. You know, Clemson was one of the few teams to sneak in their pro day before everything kind of turned upside down down there uh but i'm still their believer that he should be one of the top five wide receivers in this class and final thing i see your rankings cole Komet at the tight end position at 66 and adam trapman at number 71 so i feel like you're in line man i've been saying this for quite some time too we don't really see a tight end that warrants a, a top round two selection definitely yeah. not round yeah. one i don't even think a round two is warranted i think maybe cole Komet uh, sneaks into round two but this mm-hmm. position just as a whole just kind of sum it up real quick i mean does that say enough right there the fact that Komet and, and trapman are your only two in their top 75 <laughs> and they're both in the day three uh, uh, round three range. Yeah, I think somebody asked me yesterday uh, if uh, anybody should go up and take a tight end in the second round. I'm just like, no, I don't think so. Like, there's just too many other very, very intriguing players in those like first 64 picks, or I don't know, you know, whatever. If if you're gonna split hairs, even in the thirdly in the early third round, I think you know you just to me there's too many other enticing players, too many very very high high upside players. These these tight ends are sort of like the pickup trucks of tight ends. Like they're probably going to be dependable, fine players, but you're not, I don't know if they're like, there's like a Kittle or anybody in this class. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't, I, I'm not super excited about this tight end class. I do think there are some interesting guys. Those two guys that you mentioned commit, especially to me kind of stood out. I just think, I don't know. It, it's, it does. It's not a super exciting class there. Yeah, and it, honestly, after those two guys, you can. It's basically going to be what teams want. Somebody might yeah. be intrigued by Harrison Bryant. Somebody might be intrigued by Hunter Bryant. Somebody might be intrigued by Devin Asiasi from UCLA, or yeah. or you know Albert O from Missouri. But even those guys, I think they probably should be more round four guys. Maybe a couple sneak in round three late. You know, we've seen that before. Guys sneak into the back end of round three all the time at the tight end position. Yeah. But I, but this is such a deep class with potentially seven quarterbacks in the first three rounds. You know, yeah. so many. Good offensive linemen so many wide receivers 15 to 20 wide receivers go some positions got to be squeezed out and i think tight end really could be that teams look at one or two guys that they have top 100 grades on and then the rest are day three guys and they're going to be some guys there could be a little bit of a tight end run early on day three that wouldn't surprise me if a whole bunch of these guys fall because maybe some teams have top 100 grades on them but they just don't see the value in the top 100 and then early day three they kind of you know go into attack mode and try to go get their guy so it's gonna be fun to watch danny thank you so much it was an absolute pleasure to finally get you on the podcast yeah Uh, i know you've been a supporter of ours for quite some time and we greatly appreciate it all the retweets subtweets that you've done over the years (laughs) it does not go unnoticed so thank you so much for that please let the audience know uh where they can find you anything else that you got coming up in the woodworks and all that stuff yeah, so you can find me at uh, Danny B. Kelly on Twitter, obviously at TheRinger.com. And check out the Ringer NFL Draft Guide. I, I really appreciate it. I put a ton of work into that over the last few months. And so um, we got 75 guys up there now with full scouting reports and very cool. Like we mentioned at the beginning, you can kind of sort through different positions, sort through deep dive, skim, peruse, all different kind of functions. So it's really cool. And then also check me out on the Danacy Football Podcast on the Ringer NFL show uh, uh, feed. So, yeah. Um, we talk about all things fantasy over the offseason, too. And, Danny, thanks again. And, and and everybody out there, you need to check out their work over at The Ringer. If you're, if you're looking and you're interested, as we are, in understanding this draft landscape and what it has to offer, they're not just giving you a superficial view. They're giving you a deep dive. So 
to Danny, Paul, on behalf of everybody here at the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast, wishing you health, safety throughout these crazy times. And please, for a little bit of a reprieve, please join us next time as we take you from Saturday to Sunday.